Second Kings chapter two. just finished a series on Elijah at peace, and this was the last sermon that I preached. Second Kings chapter 2, we'll read the entire chapter. Our text concerns the occasion of Elijah being taken up into glory. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, uh, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I, will, what I shall do for thee before I be taken from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, 
And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, Ye shall not send. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and they sought three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. And he went up from thence unto Bethel. And as he was going by, up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. That far we read in God's holy inspired word. May God bless that word to our hearts. We consider verses 1 through 15. I won't read all those, but simply read verses 11 and the first part of 12 by way of introduction. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there approached a chariot of fire and horses of fire 
and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that keeps you running the race that God sets before you? The devil would have us give up in the race. The devil would have you and me ask, What's the point? And he would have us leave off running that race. But God would have us continue that race in hope. Not in the hope that this world will get better. but in the hope of glory. That's the hope that Elijah had as he pressed on in the race that God had set before him. God's word of encouragement to us as we run that race is that in Jesus Christ, we have that hope of glory as we run our race. And the text to us presents the truth that God has appointed a specific day in which he will bring us to that glory that he has prepared for us. He will send his angels and collect us and bring us into heaven. That's the hope, I say, that Elijah had. Even in that time of great wickedness, Elijah lived according to that hope that God had graciously given to him the hope of glory that Jesus Christ purchased for all of his people, including Elijah. Elijah knew that God would complete the work of salvation that he had begun Elijah knew that one day God would take him into glory. And so with that hope in Jehovah God as the God of his salvation, Elijah labored. Elijah labored as he denounced the false prophets of Baal 
Elijah labored against all the opposition of those false prophets. Elijah labored in all the different circumstances that God gave to him. He labored in hope. And our text records the day in which God finally gave to Elijah that which he hoped for. Beloved, we have that same hope that Elijah had in his pilgrimage. I want us to consider the text then under that theme, Elijah taken to heaven. We have the same hope that God will take us to heaven. Let's note in the first place that Elijah labored as a faithful servant. Secondly, that a great part of that labor, especially as regards our text, was the preparation of successors who would carry on with that same hope. And lastly, the fiery chariot that God sent for Elijah and which God will send for all his people. The truth, beloved, that God declares to us in the text is that there is a specific time in which God will bring each of his children to glory. And that comes out in the text. God had a specific time for Elijah. Notice at the very beginning of our chapter, Verse 1 of chapter 2, it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah to heaven by a whirlwind. Somehow, God had made it clear to Elijah that he was going to take him up into heaven. God had made it clear to Elijah the very day in which he would take him up to heaven. And not only did Elijah know of that day, but the sons of the prophets knew that this was the day that God would take Elijah up into glory. We read that. Also in the text, verse 3, the sons of the prophets which were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Not only did the sons of the prophets know, but Elisha knew as well. This was the very day that God had appointed to take Elijah up into glory. But the implication of that, beloved, for us is that God also has appointed a specific day 
to take you and to take me into glory. Job 14, verse 5, speaks of that time that God has appointed. Not just that God has appointed that everyone must die one day or another in a general sense, but God has appointed the specific day. Job 14, verse 5. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds, and he cannot pass. What is being declared there is not just the number of months that you and I will live, but even the number of days. God has specifically appointed, not even in general the day, but even the very second in which he will take you and take me up into glory. And as that time approaches, that time is approaching for each one of us, sometimes when we are younger, we fail to take that into account, that those days are approaching. We think that's the farthest thing from our minds, but the day is approaching. As we get older, God makes that more clear to us. Sometimes God makes that clear to us that those days are fast approaching when we get a diagnosis from the doctor. And then we know that our days, that day is coming. Sometimes God, as that day is approaching, even gives to us a strong premonition, if we could use that word. God gives to us a strong feeling, even on the very day he might cause us to know this is going to be the day that God takes me to glory. And for some of us, God will take us suddenly when we are least expecting it, maybe in our younger years or in our older years, by an accident, by a heart attack. But the point is this, beloved, and this is the truth of Scripture. God has appointed a specific day in which he will take us to glory. And that was the truth that was revealed to Elijah. There was a specific day that God had appointed for him. And yet, Before that time approaches, God gives to you and to me work to do. God gave to Elijah, his servant, as that day approached, God gave to Elijah, 
work to do as his servant. And now I want to go back a little bit in history and recall in the life of Elijah that there was a time when Elijah was depressed and when he wanted God to take his life away as he was fleeing from Ahab and Jezebel, as he fled into the wilderness, he prays this prayer, 1 Kings 19, verse 4. It says, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Elijah wanted to go to glory right then. But God still had work for him to do. He asked Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? And then he gives Elijah the instruction to go back to work. Maybe not in its full capacity immediately, but he sends Elijah back to work as his faithful servant. He sends Elijah to anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. He sends Elijah to anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. He, anoint, uh, he tells Elijah to anoint Elisha to be the prophet in his place. He still had more work for Elijah to do. And even after that time that Elijah prayed that God would take him to glory, God had much work for him to do. After that time, Elijah was used to rebuke King Ahab. After Ahab wickedly with his wife Jezebel, Jezebel having had Naboth murdered for his vineyard, Ahab, being willing to take possession of that vineyard, Elijah rebukes him. God had work, that work yet for Elijah to do. God had other work. When Ahab had died, Elijah went and confronted Ahaziah for his wickedness. Confronted Ahaziah, sent back the messengers to Ahaziah who had trusted in Beelzebub instead of in Jehovah. Elijah had work to do. When Ahaziah sent those three captains, the, two, the first two captains with their fifties, God would have Elijah called down fire upon these wicked captains and their fifties and 
that third captain as well. God would have Elijah show forth the mercies of God to him. That's all striking that Elijah wanted to go to glory at one time in his life, and God yet had work for him to do. What's so striking about our text, however, is that even on the very day that God would take Elijah to glory, on that very day, God still had work for Elijah to do. Elijah simply didn't go into the wilderness and wait for God to take him up into glory. He didn't cross the Jordan all by himself and then God take him to glory. No, God, even on that very day, sent him to do a number of things. God had work for him. So we find that in verse 2 of our text. God tells him to visit the schools of the prophets. Verse 2, Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. Bethel was the place where there was one of the schools of the prophets. The Lord hath sent me to Bethel. God sent him with work to do. And when they were at, when they were at Bethel, Elijah says again to Elisha, the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And there at Jericho was another of the schools of the prophets. The Lord had work for him, for Elijah there at Jericho. God sent him there. And when they were at Jericho, Elijah says again, The Lord hath sent me to Jordan. He went because that's where God sent him. There was still work to do at Jordan. When he crossed over Jordan, there was work to do. And that work would involve Elisha. You see that, beloved, how God would have Elijah to serve him? even unto his last breath, up until the very moment that God would send down those fiery chariots, God had work for Elijah, his servant, to do. There's a lesson for us right on the surface. Before God takes you and before God takes me into glory, he has 
work for us to do. When God saves us, he doesn't want us, like the Thessalonians at one point in time, he doesn't want us to quit our jobs and go sit on our hands, as it were, and wait for him to return in glory or wait for him to return for us. But rather, he calls us to seek first the kingdom and to seek his righteousness. He calls us, as we wait for that day, to press on towards the mark of that high calling to continue to run the race that he has set before us until the finish line, until that very last breath. He wants us to continue to run the race. I've spoken to elderly on a number of occasions. And it's not uncommon for them to say something like, I don't know why God still keeps me here. Why does God have me in this world yet? And I have often answered them with this answer. God still has work for you to do. And maybe they don't see that work, but God still has work. Part of that work, no doubt, involves encouraging the younger generations. Maybe with well, it would include this, the talk of their hope of glory. That's one of the things that has struck me visiting with the elderly, how they speak of their hope of glory. And that's an encouragement. There's work that they are doing, encouraging the younger generations concerning that hope of glory, but all kinds of different ways they can encourage the younger generations. Maybe God still has an elderly person here with us because their work involves giving an opportunity for younger generations to minister to them. And when we minister to the elderly, we end up being blessed more than they are blessed. God still has work for them. God has appointed a time in which he will take each one of his children into glory but until that time, he calls us to work. Do the work that he has set before us. Jesus talks about 
the return of the Lord. The Lord who has given his servants instructions. And he says, blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. That is, blessed is that servant. When the Lord comes, the Lord finds that servant doing the work that he has, that the master has appointed for us to do. I say that's what we find Elijah doing. That's a record of Elijah's life, but also on this last day, Elijah was doing the work that God set before him. Part of that work is preparing the next generation, preparing those who will be our successors in the faith. As we, beloved, continue our lives, God would have us, God would use us to prepare the next generation. I say that's what Elijah was doing. What do we find Elijah doing on the very last day of his life? Does he sit there and wait for God to come with his angels and collect him? Does he simply pass over Jordan by himself? No. But he goes to the schools of the prophets. First, he visits the schools of the prophets at Bethel. Then he goes to the school of the prophets at Jericho. And what, what does he do there? Why does he visit the schools of the prophets? Because God would have him prepare these prophets. God would have him encourage these prophets in the work that God would call them to do as well. The prophets at Bethel no doubt faced opposition. Children, do you remember what was at Bethel? What did Jeroboam place in Bethel years before and also in Dan? The golden calf. Bethel was a center of worship where those false priests would give themselves to that false worship. There was opposition to the word of God at Bethel, and we find that also in our context. When Elisha, after Elijah is taken into glory. We read about Elisha going up to Bethel. And what does he find on his way to Bethel? A group of, our King James says, young children. You mustn't think that they were 10-year-olds. They were probably in their teenage years or older. The word that's used can even refer up to a 30-year-old. Let's call them young adults. 
a group of young adults comes out of Bethel and mocks God's servant. Go up. This is the religious context in Bethel. This is what the prophets of Bethel had to go up against. This group of young adults comes up, mocks God's servant. Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. They were mocking God's servant, telling him to go up as Elijah had gone up into heaven because they wanted to be rid of him. And where did those young adults get their ideas from? Where did they get their attitudes from? But from their parents who despised God's prophets. Well, that's what these prophets at Bethel were up against. God would have Elijah, Elijah stop there at Bethel to encourage these prophets in their work against the wickedness of the culture in Bethel. But also Jericho. God would have Elijah to encourage the prophets at Jericho. Now, Jericho had been rebuilt just a few years prior to this occasion. It had been rebuilt during the reign of Ahab, and it had been rebuilt in opposition to the word of God. If you go back, to Joshua, you find that God pronounced a curse on anyone who rebuilt Jericho. God had said through Joshua that whoever rebuilt Jericho would set the foundation thereof in their firstborn, that is, they would lose their firstborn to death. That would be part of their curse. They would lay the foundation in their firstborn, and they would set up the gates of Jericho in the death of their youngest. God had cursed anyone who would put, uh, take it upon themselves to rebuild Jericho in defiance of his word. So the prophets of Jericho, now these prophets of God in Jericho, were up against that opposition and rejection of God's word. And Elijah, before his departure, goes to encourage those prophets. Just as God would have Elijah encourage these schools of the prophets, God calls you and me, beloved, to encourage the next generation. Who, which generation comes after us also will face a wicked world. We find that wickedness all around us, the agenda, the wicked agenda of the world pressing in upon the church so much so 
that we find that wickedness in the church world We find that homosexual agenda in the church world, rejecting God's word, rejecting the truth of God's word, even in the church world. So we want to prepare the next generation so that they might be faithful like Elijah, we want to equip our children to serve our God. In the midst of a wicked world, we want to prepare our children by God's grace to serve in the church so that they can hold on to the gospel that God has entrusted to us. We want to prepare our children to serve and therefore, we make sure as parents that they learn their catechism so that they are equipped to defend the gospel of grace. It's equipping them for battle. And we want to encourage our children and train them up to the best of our ability so we support our Christian schools. As Elijah encouraged the schools of the prophets, well, where do our future teachers and ministers come from? That training starts in our schools. It's striking that on the very last day of Elijah's time on earth, God sent him to encourage the schools of the prophets. I mention our day schools, but our seminary as well. And at the same time, not only would God have Elijah encourage the schools of the prophets, but God would also have Elijah to encourage Elisha to take his place. This was no doubt God had used Elijah to train Elisha up until that time. That training had been ongoing, but now was one last opportunity to encourage Elisha for the work that he was going to take up. And you find that encouragement throughout our chapter. In verse 2, when God had told Elijah to go from Gilgal up to Bethel, Elijah says to Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. 
Now you understand, Elisha was not disobeying Elijah. But what we ought to see about this is that Elijah was giving Elisha a test. Something like the test that Naomi gave to Ruth. When Naomi said to Ruth, go back to the house of your father, stay here in Moab. And Ruth says, no, I will go wherever you go. Naomi gave that test to Ruth to see if she was committed and even to strengthen Ruth in her commitment to serve her God, the God that she had come to embrace by God's work in her heart. And that was the case with Elisha as well. God would have Elijah to encourage him and by this test to strengthen Elisha in the work, in his commitment to do the work. And so when Elijah says to Elisha, tarry here. And Elisha answers. Elisha's answer amounts to this. As the Lord liveth, I am committed to go wherever the Lord sends. If God sends you to Bethel, I will go to Bethel too. Because Elisha is expressing his commitment to do the work that God was sending them to do. Well, that comes up a number of times. After they went to Bethel, Elijah says, Well, now the Lord has sent us to Jericho and stay here, Elisha. But Elisha says, No. As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. I am committed to go wherever God sends. And finally, after they crossed over the Jordan, we find that Elijah asks the question of Elisha. 2 Kings 2 verse 9. Ask what I shall give thee before I be taken away from thee. And how does Elisha respond to that question? He shows his commitment to the work that God had sent him to do. He shows his commitment by the answer that he gives. Elisha shows that he wants to do the Lord's work. He wants to go wherever the Lord sends him. He wants to do whatever God commands him to do. But Elisha understands that he needs the Spirit of God to do it. And so what does he ask for? Elisha makes this request. He understands he's not asking this personally from Elijah, as if Elijah himself had the power to give it. 
But he says in verse 9, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. I need the spirit. And that double portion, the idea of a double portion is associated with the idea of a firstborn. The inheritance that the firstborn in a family would normally get would be the double portion. And so Elisha is saying, I want to inherit from you that spirit that God has given to you because I want to do the work that God gives me to do, and I need the Spirit to do it. Well, Elijah understood that he himself could not grant that gift to Elisha. God had to give it to him. And so Elijah says, you have asked a hard thing, but... Elijah also understood that if God would give Elisha the eyes to see, the eyes to see Elijah taken up into glory, if God would allow him to see those fiery chariots, then God would also grant his desire. So we find that in verse 10, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me, when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Well, beloved, just as Elijah wanted to encourage Elisha in the work that was before him. We want to encourage those who are closest to us that they might be equipped to do the work, that they might be equipped to serve God in their lives. And to do that, to serve the Lord, they need the Spirit. And all the instruction in the world that we can give will not give the Spirit. God has to give the Spirit. And yet, when God gives His Spirit, there will be a desire for more of the Spirit, just as with Elisha. God had already given him the Spirit, but he desired more of the Spirit. That's what he is asking. And that's what Elijah says. If you have those eyes of faith to see me go, then you will receive that gift from God. Who works in the hearts of our children so that they would desire the Spirit? The Holy Spirit works in the hearts of our children so that they desire more of the Spirit. 
And just as was the case with Elisha, when there are those who desire the Spirit and who desire God's grace and who pray for that, they will not be disappointed. That's the Heidelberg Catechism as well, expresses that truth. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask. On Elijah's last day, and throughout his life, but it's on display here, his great desire was that he might be used by God to equip the next generation, to equip those who would succeed him in the race as he passed on his baton, as it were. And God was gracious. Well, when Elijah's work was finally done, God was ready to send his angels to take Elijah to glory. When his work was done, Elijah had worked throughout his ministry. He had, he had done the work that God had called him to do. And what had God called him to do throughout his life? He had manifested the wrath of God against all the enemies of God, and he had manifested the grace of God towards the people of God. Elijah had given testimony of that. Elijah's name, whose uh, Elijah, whose name means "My God is Jehovah," showed that Jehovah was the true and the living God, the God who is a God of justice. And Elijah proclaimed that justice. Elijah proclaimed. God's curse upon those who had rejected him. He had proclaimed that curse upon Ahab and upon Jezebel. He had proclaimed that curse upon Ahaziah, Ahab's son. He had proclaimed that curse upon the two captains of Ahaziah that came to capture Elijah. Elijah had proclaimed that curse upon all who had rejected Jehovah, but he also proclaimed the grace of God. On Mount Carmel, when that fire came down from heaven and devoured the sacrifice, there was a proclamation that those who had deserved that wrath of God, that offering, received the fire instead of them. Elijah had proclaimed the curse of God and the mercy of God throughout 
his ministry. He had worked faithfully, but God was not sending his angels to collect Elijah because now Elijah had done enough to earn that glory. When the time came for God to take him up into glory, it had nothing to do with all the work that Elijah had done as if somehow Elijah earned that fiery chariot. Not at all. But Elijah had shown forth the grace of God throughout his whole life and now was but a culmination of that grace towards Elijah. Now if we just think about Elijah receiving himself, that grace of God, Elijah received that grace so that God graciously protected him from wicked Ahab and Jezebel. God graciously strengthened him so that he would be able to confront Ahab and Jezebel. God graciously provided for Elijah at the brook Cherith, causing even the ravens to bring meat and bread to him. There was a testimony of God's gracious care of Elijah throughout his life. When he went to Zarephath, God graciously cared for him and the widow. There in that territory, even the territory where wicked Jezebel had come from, God showed forth his grace. I mentioned the grace of God that spared the people on Mount Carmel when they should have been burned by the fire. The fire instead burned up the sacrifice. There was a picture of the grace of God in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. When that wrath should have fallen on us, it fell upon Jesus Christ. God's grace was manifested when he sent rain upon the land again for the sake of his people that were still there in Israel. That grace of God upheld Elijah when he was downcast. That grace of God restored Elijah so that he could continue to work where God sent him to work. Elijah experienced that grace of God throughout his life. And now was the culmination of that grace. There was nothing of Elijah's merit at all in God taking him up into glory the way he did. 
We must never think, oh, he was such a faithful prophet. That's why God took him up. That's not the case. It was all of God's grace. And if Elijah would sing that song, Amazing Grace, he had the words, he could say those words. Was grace that brought me safe thus far. And now grace will bring me home. Elijah had already smitten the Jordan River. He took his mantle and smote the Jordan River. And God opened up the Jordan River so that they could. Elijah and Elisha could walk through the Jordan River on dry ground. It was some 500 years before that God opened up the Jordan River so that his people could pass through on dry ground into the promised land. And now by God's he opened up again the Jordan River so that Elijah could pass through and then be taken to the promised glory of heaven. And then Elijah asks Elijah, Elisha what his request would be. Elisha answers that question. And as they talked, God determined, now your work is done. And God sent, as they walked along, God sent those chariots of fire and horses of fire. Those chariots and horses separated the two of them. And God took Elijah up by a whirlwind up into heaven. I realize our King James uses the singular word chariot. There appeared a chariot, but that word is actually a collective word in the Hebrew. We could translate it chariot tree or a group of chariots. God sent his chariots and horses. Those were his angels. That was a description of God's mighty angels that he sent to collect Elijah. We find that, for example, Psalm 104, verse 4, speaks of the angels as fire. Psalm 104, verse 4, he maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. So fire is associated with God's angels, also chariots. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 18, mentions the chariot of the cherubims. That's what God sends to collect Elijah. He sends his angels. 
from heaven. God will take us into heaven by his angels. Jesus says that, Matthew 24, verse 31. Matthew 24, verse 31. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. There's speaking of the judgment day, but also Jesus speaks of the angels who came and collected the soul of Lazarus. There's the truth also regarding our entrance into glory. God will send his angels. If we die before the judgment day, our bodies will be in the grave, but God will send his angels to take our souls into heaven. And if we survive until the judgment day, the angels will come and gather all the elect together into glory. All on the basis of the work of our chief prophet and teacher, Jesus Christ. Elijah was a picture. Elijah the prophet was a picture of Jesus Christ, our chief prophet and teacher. And Elijah's being taken up into heaven was foreshadowing. It was a picture that God gave, a foreshadowing of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. And therefore, a foreshadowing of all of our being taken into heaven when God takes us up by his angels. It's striking that just before Jesus went to Jerusalem to give himself as a perfect sacrifice, Jesus went up into a mountain, and who appeared there with Jesus? Moses and Elijah, who encouraged Jesus, who spoke to him of his decease. Jesus himself experienced a foretaste of glory. God will take each one of his children into glory on the basis of the sacrifice and death of Jesus Christ on the cross. No doubt, Elijah and Moses said, all of this is foretold. The sacrifice must be made to earn the right for all of God's people, for Moses and Elijah. Jesus had to die for them, to earn for them the right of eternal glory, for you and for me and for every one of God's elect, Jesus Christ 
our chief prophet, gave the ultimate sacrifice that paid for us so that we may live in the hope of glory. But up until that time, up until that point in time when God calls us to glory, he calls us to labor. Labor, yes, but labor in hope. Labor in the same hope that Elijah had. his whole life, and which hope was realized when God took him up into glory. When God took Elijah, Elisha saw him go up, and Elisha calls out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He describes Elijah this way. Because Elisha saw that God had done a great work through him. As chariots and horsemen are the workhorses doing the work of God. God had accomplished much through his prophet Elijah. And when Elijah was gone. Elisha would be encouraged. Can you imagine him not thinking of that often, of that occasion as Elisha ministered from then on to recall how he saw Elijah go up into glory? Elisha would now labor with all the more hope in his heart. God is going to take me up into glory, not exactly the same way, not in the sight of others, but God has reserved that glory for me. And so Elisha continued to labor in that hope that God had given to him. And in faith, he took up the mantle that had fallen in God's providence, that mantle that prophet's mantle had fallen from Elijah, and Elisha takes up that mantle, and he strikes the river. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? And the river opens up, and he crosses over the river. And Elisha knew that God was with him, that God would be with him in all the work that God set before him. The sons of the prophets understood that as well. They said the spirit of Elijah, that is, the spirit that God gave to Elijah, God has now given that spirit to Elisha. And so he labored, knowing that God was with him, Beloved, what keeps you running the race? There are many saints 
who have passed before us. Some of those saints you are related to. They have experienced the hope of glory. They have that hope. That is, they have what they expected. They have been given glory. They are in glory with their souls. And now we continue on with that same hope. What drives us forward? What keeps us running the race? It's the hope that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. May we labor with that hope and look forward to the day when God sends his angels to take us into that glory. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for that hope of glory purchased for us by Jesus Christ. Give us also, as we continue our labors here in this world, give us thy grace and thy spirit that we may be faithful, that thy name would be praised, and that the next generation would be equipped to take up their labors in the kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalter number 31.